I want you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 this morning. I'm really glad that you've joined us this morning as we open God's Word and listen to what God has to say. I want to welcome all of you, whether it's your first time, second time, or you've been here since the church started on April the 17th, or yeah, 17th, 2017, almost four years ago. I want to welcome all of our folks that are joining us online as well. You see, together, we are part of God's family, and we're part of the body of Christ that He's building right here to accomplish His work in the world. Aren't you thankful that you have the Word of God this morning? I'm so thankful that I have the Bible, God's Word, and we can read it and study it. Don't neglect it during this time. Dig in. I was talking with Brother Caleb this morning and he said, you know, I really love it when we study and learn and just try to get all the truth we can from a passage of Scripture. Really exhaust it. And I said, I agree. I said, but isn't it wonderful to know that as much as you dig, you can never exhaust the riches and truth of God's Word. God's Word has the answers for yesterday, for today, and for tomorrow. He has the answers for our life. This week, many things will take place. I don't know what they all will be, but I'm thankful that I don't have to be worried about tomorrow. You've heard the song probably that says, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from the sunshine. For the skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today He'll walk beside me, for I know He is the way. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. I'm thankful we can walk with Him, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Our theme this year is forward. We introduced it last week. You see it on the slides in front of you. Why? Because God has called us to keep moving forward for His glory to fulfill His purpose in this world. We're studying through the book of Acts together And we're seeing how God established His church, how He founded His church, how He equipped the body of Christ, the church, to go out and to fulfill the Great Commission. We still serve that same God today who starts churches, praise the Lord, who sustains churches, who builds churches for His glory. And we're part of that early church, or we're descended from it as person passed down the truth to another person as 
People were fulfilling the mission of being a witness for Jesus Christ and making disciples and passing that truth down as God has preserved His Word for us so that we can read the Holy Scriptures as He's empowered us through the Holy Spirit of God to do His work. And as we move forward as a church, it is important, it is vital that we clearly understand what God wants for us and what God wants from us. What God wants for us and from us. We must understand what is important and what is not. And we must manage our time, our talents, and our treasure to the glory of God. The time is short. Lord, haste the day. But the opportunities are incredible. The opportunity to see God continue to do His work, to save souls, to change lives. Let's move forward together for the glory of God, for the salvation of souls. Last week we looked in Acts chapter 1. We saw the mission that God has given to every believer. That mission summed up for us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says this, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You see, in this chapter, Acts 1, we were introduced to a group of Jesus believers. This group, there were 120 of them gathered in this upper room, the same place, we believe, where Jesus had the Passover with His disciples before He went to be crucified. The same place where His disciples went after His crucifixion and where Jesus appeared to them. A lot had taken place in this room. And now there were 120 believers gathered there, men, women, those apostles, and a bunch of others. And they were gathered together in prayer. The Bible says they were gathered in one accord with one mind. In fact, they even took time to try to find a replacement for Judas Iscariot. And through prayer and casting of lots, they decided to call a man by the name of Matthias. Now, it's interesting to note that as far as I know, as far as I can tell from my study, this is the only place where Matthias is mentioned. We don't see any future ministry work of Matthias. Did they make a mistake in calling Matthias? Well, we do know that the disciples were trying to be obedient to an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Psalms, where God had said that one would be raised up to fill the place that Judas Iscariot had left when he went out and took his own life after betraying Jesus Christ. Now, some have pointed out, and I think accurately so, that perhaps the Apostle Paul was the one that God had selected to fill that place. And yet, I think it is good to note that either way, they were trying to be obedient to the Word of God. They were spending time in prayer. They were in one accord. They were in unison together. You see, our mission today 
is the same as theirs back then. To be witnesses for Christ. But what does that mean? Talked about last week. I'm going to keep repeating this so that we have it locked in our minds. Being a witness for Christ, we've said it this way, to bring glory to God by fulfilling the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment. Everything we do ought to be to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to bring glory to God, to point people towards Him. When people see your life and my life, when people see what our church does, it ought not to detract from who God is, but rather point people to who God is. But let me tell you this, not everybody likes who God is. Not everybody's going to want to follow God when they know about Him, and yet we have a responsibility to make sure that every person has an opportunity to know who the Lord is. We bring glory to God and we do that as we fulfill the Great Commission. We go out making disciples, telling people about Jesus, evangelizing the lost, teaching them to observe all things, baptizing them, right? All of these things. And we do that in the spirit of the Great Commandment, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And people who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength will also love their neighbors as themselves. So, I think we understand our mission. We understand where we are supposed to go, what our destination is. And in Acts 1.8, it even gives us some of the method that you're to do it in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. You see, if you're getting ready to go on a trip... It's important to know where you're going, right? What your destination is. It's also important to know how to get there. I brought something with me this morning that some of you may have never seen except in a museum. This is called a map. Yeah. But let me just tell you right now as we get started this morning, this is really the only map you could ever need because it's a map of the great state of Texas. I don't know why you would even need to go anywhere else. Everything you need is right here. And this is a map of the roads of Texas. And as it says on the front, it's trusted and it's accurate everywhere. It includes detailed attractions and places of interest, information on famous Texans, festival information, ghost towns, historical forts and missions, longitude and latitude information, mileage chart, national and state parks, and Texas counties insert. Now, when I was a boy, I am old enough. As a boy, we did not have GPS to get us from place to place. Cell phones did not have, have maps built into them. In fact, they didn't even have cell phones. Whoa. So it was my job in the back seat of our car, my dad would hand me the map, and it was my job to look at the map and to figure out where we're going, how we're going. Well, dad already knew all that probably, but it was my job to look at the map and figure out that way as well. And you know, on these maps is so many interesting things. There's little numbers next to the road, and you know what that is? That tells you how many miles it is between two points on that map. In the front, there's a mileage chart. I remember when I learned how to use the mileage chart. Boy, it, you pick two cities and tell you how many miles it is between them. 
And so Dad would have me doing all kinds of math as we went down the road, calculating how many miles it was from this place to that place. And then I'd count down the mile markers and subtract those numbers. Then when we stopped for gas, we'd figure out how many gallons we put in the car and we'd figured out the mileage that the car was getting as we went. It was pretty interesting stuff. See, back in my day, we didn't have video games to play in the car. We didn't have movies to watch in the car. Some of the kids today just think they would about die if they didn't have those things. Reading a book usually made me carsick in the car. But I could look at a map and I could do some math and that kept me busy quite a bit as we went down the road. Maps are wonderful things. They're a lot of fun. This is a lot more fun to study than the GPS on your phone. I'll just tell you that right now. And maps are very useful. Because they help us when we know where we want to go. They help us know how to get there. God's Word has told us where we're going. He's given us our mission. God's Word is our map of how to get there. But you know what? If you're going on a trip and all you have is a destination and all you have are directions on how to get there, you still won't arrive where you're trying to go. Something else very important. How many of you have ever gotten in your car, started it up, Expecting to head somewhere quickly, maybe it was an errand in town, maybe you were going on a trip, and you started up your car and that little yellow light came on that said low fuel. Well, very quickly you knew you weren't getting anywhere, at least not very far, unless you took time and probably the first thing you did was find a gas station. Even a lot of the new cars, when the low fuel light comes on, a map pops up for you and shows you 10 different gas stations that you can go to to put fuel in your car. I don't have one of those cars, but I have uh, been in enough rental cars over the last few years to see that take place. That being said, we need fuel if our vehicle's ever going to get there. And in the Christian life, God's Word is clear on where we're going. It's clear on how to get there. But we need the power to accomplish what God has given for us to do. I believe there are too many Christians walking around today and too many people walking around with the head knowledge of what they're supposed to do, with the understanding from the Word of God of where they're supposed to go, but they don't have the power to accomplish what God has given for them to do. And here in Acts chapter 2, we have described for us God giving His power to His people through His Holy Spirit to accomplish the work that God had given them to do. So, I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we read from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. That was my introduction. Now we're ready to get to our message this morning. Acts 2, verses 1 through 13, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was Fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, 
because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own language? I'm sorry, in our own tongue wherein we were born. Tongues being languages. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. So these were not all Jewish people. Some of them were proselytes, those who were proselytes to the Jewish religion. And it says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Father, help us now as we take your word and understand it. Help us then to live it. Work in our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There were three great yearly festivals that were festivals where the Jews would make a pilgrimage or travel together, many of them would, to Jerusalem. This brought large crowds as many worshipers came to the temple to worship God there. These three festivals were Passover, Pentecost, and the third was the Feast of Tabernacles. Pentecost was celebrated 50 days Yeah, 50 days after the Passover. It was seven weeks, so sometimes called the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks plus one day after the Passover. So 50 days. And we can read about that clear back in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, chapter 23, verses 15 to 17, where God was detailing out these different festivals and feasts that they were to do. It's interesting to note that Pentecost was also known as the Feast of First Fruits because it was when the first ripe harvest, the first of the wheat harvest, was being brought in and the people would then bring their tithes from that to the temple. Thus, it was the day when the Lord began His spiritual harvest of souls. I think in these Old Testament feasts, we can see God at work with His people, foreshadowing, giving them some clues as to what the work of Christ would look like when He came. Think about it. When did Jesus die? Right after the Feast of Passover. Go back in the Old Testament in your mind with me. and If you can't, I'll take you there. Go back with me back to the time when the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. God, through His servant Moses, went to Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. And Pharaoh, he said, No way. And so God sent a series of plagues upon the Egyptians. And each time... Moses would come back and say, now will you let my people go? No, no. Sometimes, eh, no. He hardened his heart and he refused to let the people of God go. Until finally the tenth and final plague came. But before this plague came, God 
told the people that they needed to take a lamb and dress it, prepare it. And they were going to eat that as a meal before God set them free from Egypt. But he said, I want you to take some of the blood from that lamb and I want you to put it on the doorposts on either side of the front door of your house and on the lintel, the place above the front door. And that was to be a sign to the death angel that would pass over that night. And if there was no blood on the doorpost, then the firstborn in every house would be killed. So that's an awful judgment. It is. But God made a way of escape. All they needed was the blood of the Lamb above their door. And the angel would pass over that house. And all in the house would be saved alive. Think about it. Jesus, He was that perfect Lamb. When He died on the cross, He shed His blood for your sin and for my sin. Bible says it very clearly, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But it is only through Jesus Christ and His shed blood that your sin can be washed away forever. Because those Old Testament sacrifices, they weren't sufficient to cleanse their sin forever because they had to keep doing the sacrifice over and over and over again. The children of Israel were not saved through the sacrificing of lambs. They were saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrificial lamb was just a picture of the Lamb of God who would come to save all who were lost. And that blood of Jesus Christ is still available today. If you will believe, your sins will be forgiven as well. See, Jesus died at the time of Passover. Fast forward 50 days later. Jesus has had, He's died, He was buried, He rose again three days. He spent 40 days teaching and preaching and showing Himself to His followers. He ascends up into heaven. Now there's a little bit more time, a few more days here. Those 120 have been locked up in that upper room. They've been praying. They've been waiting for God to send His Holy Spirit. And now comes Pentecost. Now comes the Holy Spirit. That first fruits harvest coming in. What a great picture of the beginning of the new church. As God begins His harvest of souls. But you know, there's one other feast that they celebrate. The Feast of Tabernacles. Or some in the, sometimes in the Old Testament, it's referred to as the Feast of Booths. See, this was to remind the children of Israel of when they were nomads wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And they would live in tents. They would live in little booths, structures that they had put together with you know, maybe branches and sticks and things like this just to try to create a little shelter out there in the wilderness. And so after they made it to the promised land, there was this great celebration to remember all that God had done. It's also interesting to note that the Feast of Tabernacles came at the end of harvest. See, I think if you take that Old Testament picture and you lay that over a New Testament world, the Passover is the death of Jesus Christ to pay for our sin. Pentecost was the beginning of the church, the beginning of the harvest, 
and we're still looking forward to. Lord, haste the day to tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, when the last harvest is brought in and when Jesus comes back. What a day that'll be when my Jesus I will see. So these are those, those festivals going on. So here it is, Pentecost. The streets would have been full of people. These worshipers of Jehovah, but not those who truly understand, understood the work of Jesus Christ. They were following in a system, but they hadn't trusted in the Savior. They were all gathered together to fulfill their Old Testament duties. And this 120 is in the upper room. What an amazing time that was. And it was on this special occasion of Pentecost or first fruits that the Lord sent His Holy Spirit upon the church. I alluded to this verse earlier. The Bible says in John 16, 7, Jesus Himself said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. What a great promise that God would send His Holy Spirit. I want you to look with me carefully at this passage of Scripture because first of all, we're going to see this morning two outward signs of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Two of the signs that God gave them back in this time of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Number one, we see that there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now this was not actually a wind, it was just a sound of a wind. Now it's interesting here because when you go and do some study on these words, mighty wind, there's actually quite an interesting contrast here. There are a lot of different words that they use during this time to refer to wind. Especially when you think about Galileans on the Sea of Galilee. They had different kinds of wind. They had strong winds. They had soft winds. They had all kinds of different things. And this word wind is actually talking about just a gentle breeze. So gentle, in fact, that you can feel it. You can sense it. But you can't always see it rustling the leaves or anything else. It's just like a little breath upon your cheek. And yet he also uses the word mighty. That's power. It's God's ability to accomplish great things. And I think in these two words, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. The word mighty speaks of His power. We serve a, a God who is almighty, who has all power. The Holy Spirit, He can do whatever because He is able. But we also have the word here of this gentle breeze, or zephyr almost. This speaks of His gentle conviction. See, when the Holy Spirit comes to work, well, He comes with great power. He demonstrates this power in many times such a gentle way. That's why it's very easy for Christians, even, to ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit. Often the Holy Spirit doesn't come and just knock you over the head. Now, He could. Generally, He comes with a gentle leading, squeezing of your heart in conviction, right? giving you that sense that this is what God wants me to do. And that's why 
to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, you've got to be paying attention. You've got to be listening very carefully. Too many times we have so much noise in the world around us. We don't take time to be still and to listen to God. Listening to God starts by learning what the sound of His voice sounds like. Get into God's Word. Read it, study it, learn it, memorize it, meditate on it. Confess your sin. Get all that wickedness out of your heart. Close out. You know, maybe even put some earplugs in sometimes, right? To close out all that other stuff. When your mind's racing and your heart's troubled, ask God to calm you, to give you hope and peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. And listen to the Holy Spirit. There was no actual wind that day, but there was the sound of the wind. The second sign that we see here in verse 3 are the cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. The visual of this tongues of fire, it was above each of the 120. All of them. Not just the apostles. That's, that's important to note. We say, well, it was just the apostles had the Holy... No, all 120 did. Can I say it? Men and women, Right? It was everybody. But no one was burned. In the Old Testament, we often see wind and fire as being symbols of the divine presence. Elijah heard the wind and he saw the fire when he was hiding out in the cave, hiding out from Jezebel. And then God came and spoke to him in a still, small voice. Even John the Baptist prophesied in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16 that the Lord would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So in Acts 2 and verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, this was all of the believers that were gathered were filled with the Holy Ghost. This was not just the apostles. All of them spoke in other tongues. Now the question is often raised. What were those tongues? And that's a question that has been discussed a lot over the centuries. And is still discussed today. But here in Acts chapter 2, I think it's important for us to note that it is clear from the context here that these tongues that they were speaking in at this point, they were known tongues and they were currently spoken foreign languages. It's clear in the context. Look with me at verses 5 through 11. So they're speaking in tongues, the 120. What were those tongues? Well, it says there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation in heaven. These were people from all over the world. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. So as the news is spreading, these people are speaking in these tongues. Everybody starts to gather around. There's all these people out in the street. Why? It says they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Well, what were these languages? It says they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Now, no offense, but this was not a, uh, a compliment to be called a Galilean. It, it would be like 
somebody to say today to an educated crowd, what's, what's wrong with you? Are you all just a bunch of rednecks? Now we may say, well, I am and I'm proud to be one. But they were saying it in a, in a, in a deprecating way, right? Cutting them down. These guys are just a bunch of fishermen from Galilee. These people, they don't know anything. They don't have education. So how are they speaking all these different languages? And look at verse 8. That's the question. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And he tells us where they were born. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, and Egypt, in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians. Now, that's a whole list of names, and I read them really fast. But if you get out your Bible maps, those things in the back of your Bible, if you have those, you will find those cities scattered all over the place. He, he mentions Egypt. You know where that is? That's south and west of Israel, Jerusalem, he mentions Libya, he mentions Arabia, Mesopotamia, that was, way, that was to the east, he mentions cities in Asia, Asia Minor, cities in Greece, even as far away as Rome. He even talks about the island of Crete. These are people that came from everywhere. And the Bible says they were hearing and understanding as they spoke in their own native. See, in the Bible, it's very clear that tongues were a sign to the unbelievers, not to the believers. In fact, 1 Corinthians expands on that in chapter 14, verse 22. It says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Prophesying, proclaiming the Word of God. That's what it's speaking about in that type of prophesying. Not just foretelling, telling you what's going to happen before it happens, but forthtelling, declaring the truth. That's why this morning we're doing, we're prophesying, proclaiming the truth. We're not speaking in tongues. You see, this act of God was used to create the church, the body of Christ. So what are these tongues? These are known, spoken languages that they hadn't previously studied or understood. It was clearly a miracle. It was a sign from God. It was something God used in a wonderful way to fulfill His work of getting the gospel out to all these people. But I want you to notice, secondly, this morning, and this is really... I would say the central part of our message this morning. I want you to notice three aspects of the Holy Spirit's blessing for each believer. Three aspects. And we can see those at work in this passage that we just read. And I want you to pay attention and stay with me and understand as I explain this, it might get a little bit technical, but it's on purpose because the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through God's people is often misunderstood, often all kinds of words get different de definitions for the same word, so I'm going to try to carefully define our terms and help you understand this. Because, remember, 
The Holy Spirit is the power. He is the means that God has given us to accomplish His mission. And we don't want to drive up to the proverbial gas pump and put the wrong fuel in our vehicle. I've done that before. Except it wasn't my vehicle. It was Abraham's vehicle. He still even comes to church here. Mm. You won't go too far if you put gasoline in a diesel truck. It's not good for it. It doesn't work well. And I think it's important for us as believers to understand who the Holy Spirit is and His work in our lives. Because it's no wonder that most Christians today are not living in the power that God has given for them. Three aspects. Number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is an action of the Holy Spirit by which every believer is baptized into the body of Christ at the moment of conversion or salvation. When you get saved, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you, he, He's all around you. He's in you. He's doing His work. You're in. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, first of all, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon them in this passage. Let me take you to another few passages of Scripture. John 1.12 But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. Where does that power come from? From the Holy Spirit. Even to them that believe on His name. How about Titus 3 and verse 5, which says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the one that renews us, that changes us, makes us new. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that has taken place for every true believer. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says it this way, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Listen carefully. You cannot truly be saved and not have the Holy Spirit of God. Here at Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit began this action, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second aspect is this, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is an action by which the Spirit constantly abides in the heart of every believer. Now you say, well, that sounds a lot like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, the baptism is what happens when we get saved. The fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us is the confidence that every believer can have that the Holy Spirit is with you and you can't somehow lose Him. Because there are some that say, well, you can lose the Holy Spirit. Now, understand this carefully because I'm going to make a differentiation between the Holy Spirit's presence and the Holy Spirit's power. Because sometimes we say, oh, God's Holy Spirit was present. Well, God's everywhere he's always present but because just because the holy spirit's present 
doesn't mean you're working in his power to accomplish what he wants you to do. So understand, I know some people use those terms differently. That's how I'm using these terms, and I'll point to Scripture to help you understand why I'm saying that. In 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 16, it says this, Know ye that ye, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. It's interesting to note, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a bunch of disobedient believers in a church that was allowing all kinds of wickedness to go on. And yet Paul writes to him, he says, but you're still the temple of God and the Holy Spirit is in you. So even disobedient believers didn't lose the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. They may not be experiencing His power, but they still had His presence. You see, the Spirit of God constantly abides in the heart of every believer. If a person does not have the presence of the Spirit, he does not merely lack a second blessing. He does not belong to Christ at all. Say, that sounds like a strong statement. Well, I wouldn't say it if I couldn't back it up. So look at Romans 8 and verse 9. It says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Therefore, I will say, while many Christians may truly be saved and not living in the power of the Holy Spirit, every Christian who's truly been saved, been born again, has the Holy Spirit. They've been baptized into the Holy Spirit and they have the continual indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. This is important because lots of things get pulled out of this and twisted to say all kinds of different things. So this is the third one, and this is often where people run to, and that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. People skip over or kind of twist the baptism and the indwelling to sort of equal the filling, but they're really different things. And I want to explain the filling of the Holy Spirit, an action by which the Spirit empowers the believer for service. In Acts 4, in verse 31, we see this taking place. It says, when they prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. So between Acts 2 and Acts 4, did the Holy Spirit leave and come back? No, He was there all the time. He was present. He had baptized them, but there was a difference here in the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of that filling of the power of the Holy Spirit was that they went out and did work for the Lord. That they went out and they spake the Word of God with boldness. It's the Holy Spirit of God that gives you boldness to share the truth. You can take every class on how to share your faith with somebody else, but you better pray and ask God for His Holy Spirit to give you boldness and power to share the truth. There are many, even preachers, that stand up, and I hope it's not this one, but it could happen, that stand up and tell you what is right, but don't do it with any boldness because the Holy Spirit of God is not at work in them, giving Him the power that He needs to share that truth. We need the truth, absolutely. 
but we need the power to declare that truth with boldness. This world doesn't like truth. But often in our world system around us, we see, well, you can have your truth as long as you keep it quiet and keep it to yourself and don't tell anybody else about it. The problem is this, when you and I live in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we're empowered by His Spirit, we must proclaim the truth with boldness. Not everybody's going to like that. Not everybody's going to appreciate that. Even in Acts chapter 2, not everybody liked it. We'll get there in a minute. This filling of the Holy Spirit actually was not a new thing at Pentecost. This was not the first time that the Holy Spirit of God gave somebody power. That actually goes back into the Old Testament. Now the baptism, the constant presence, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that began at Pentecost and was new. But you can see the work of the Holy Spirit even in the Old Testament. Some people say the Holy Spirit's not in the Old Testament. I'm just going to give you two verses. There are others. But how about this in Judges 6 and verse 34? The Bible says this, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. What happened with Gideon? He's a fearful guy hiding out, threshing grain in a wine press. He's asking God for all these signs and all these things to show him what he wants to do. But when the Spirit of God came upon him, he stood up with confidence, he blew his trumpet, and he went out to fight the fight that God had given him to fight. That's the Spirit of God. It renews you. It changes you. It empowers you to do the work that God has given you to do. We also see... This same Spirit of the Lord mentioned in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13. Samuel had gone to visit Jesse. God had sent him there. And he said, I want you to anoint one of his sons to be king over Israel. And each son passed by from the oldest down to the youngest. And, and starting with the oldest, Samuel thought, this is the one. And the Lord said, no, he's not the one. Next, next. Till finally... There were no more sons. And he says, Jesse, do you have any more? And he says, well, there is David, but he's out watching the sheep. He says, call him. So David comes. And the Bible says this in 1 Samuel 16, 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And here it is, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Why was David able to live with such power and such strength and such boldness to follow after God? It's because the Spirit of the Lord was moving in him. The Spirit of the Lord empowered him to do those things. But this was not the case for all Old Testament believers. In fact, the psalmist himself in Psalm 51 in verse 11 said this, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit was not a constant abiding presence in the heart of every believer in the Old Testament. The baptism, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit began at Pentecost. The power of the Holy Spirit, as it was available somewhat in the Old Testament, we see Him Coming in, we see it clearly at work in the New Testament believer. 
So some have said this, well then, how do you live in the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, that sounds good. Let me say a couple things. First of all, you and I don't get to dictate what the Holy Spirit does. Because we're not God. We don't get to tell the Holy Spirit what to do. There are some people that get this attitude. Well, I've prayed. I've read my Bible. I've done all these things right. So the Holy Spirit just has to move. There, there has to be a revival. No. I like what somebody else said. They said the Holy Spirit is like a wind that blows. And if you're out on a sailboat, you don't have control over the wind. But you can put up your sails. You can set your sails. As believers, I believe it's important that we set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit of God when He moves. But He moves when He is ready. So I think we could say this, that you may not always experience the power of the Spirit in your life. You may come to church some Sundays and say, I just didn't feel His power in my life. But I want to encourage you with this. Just because you don't feel His power doesn't mean that He's not with you. That He's not present. That He's not still doing His work. I think sometimes, and, and I think this is where we get mixed up on the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We try to do all the stuff just right to get the Holy Spirit's attention and think, I've done it all. We sang the right songs. We, we had the right... You know, people up on stage, the right lights and the right mirrors and the right smoke. And so somehow that makes the Holy Spirit work. No, that's just an emotional response. And they do it a lot better at the Astros game than at church anyway, right? Those are emotional responses. That being said, the Holy Spirit of God can cause an emotional response. And that's okay. But we don't try to call him down. Like the children of Israel were trying to, you know, call out to false gods when you had all those prophets and priests of Baal saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. We don't have to call him down. He's already here. We don't have to invite him to join the service with this this morning. If you're a believer, he's already here. He's already here. But we do want to prepare our hearts and our minds to walk in the Word of God and the will of God so that we can hear when the Holy Spirit directs. So that we're ready to listen when He tells us where to go. So that we're ready to experience His power at work in us to change lives. So are you, are you living in the power of the Spirit? Are you allowing Him to direct your life? See, we don't need more of the Spirit. We have Him all. Rather, the Spirit needs more of us. Just like you don't need to get saved again and again. You have it all. Too many people aren't living in the light that they're already forgiven. God wants to bless us. He wants to use us for His purpose. All three of these aspects, the baptism, the indwelling, the filling of the Holy Spirit, these are all realities for believers today. 
and they will continue on until Jesus comes back again. And then, as we sang, our faith becomes sight. Then we won't need the Holy Spirit in that sense anymore because we'll be with Jesus in His presence. I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 describe what a Spirit-filled or Spirit-empowered and a Spirit-surrendered life looks like. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, a sacrifice doesn't get to tell those who are sacrificing it what it wants to have happen. No, it's like, here I am, Lord. Isaiah said it. Lord, here am I. Send me. Not, well, here am I, Lord, but send me over here. No, here am I. Send me wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. We sing it. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Just as I am without one plea. Lord, I'm yours. I'm a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then in verse 2, he tells us a whole bunch of things really wrapped up in this one phrase, be not conformed to this world, that will keep you from living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world's thinking and the world's systems and the distractions and the noise of this world keep you from being able to hear and to follow the Holy Spirit. He says, rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are we renewed in our mind? Through the washing of the water of the Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. I've heard people say, well, I read my Bible every day, but nothing seems to change. Well, are you living it out? Are you obeying it? Are you doing it what, what God tells you to do? As you get to know the voice of God, then you're ready to hear when the Spirit leads and the Spirit directs. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove... Give evidence to the fact. Be a witness, can we say? What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Now I want you to see in closing the response of all the people around them to the Holy Spirit. We read how they marveled. How they were surprised the Galileans were speaking in their own language. They had questions how can we hear every man in our own tongue? It says they were confounded in verse number 6. They were troubled in their minds. But in verse 12 it says they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Some listened and had questions and wanted to know more. If you read on, and some of you already know where this story goes, 3,000 people got saved. What a day. But some mocked. Ah, you're drunk and it's only the morning. It was morning time when they, this was all taking place. You see, when you share the truth with boldness, there are some that will respond positively to it. Others will mock, call you names, tell lies about you, reject what you have to say. 
but that shouldn't stop us from doing what God has commanded us to do. I want you to notice really briefly, because I love in verse 11, it tells us what they were doing, what they were talking about. It says that they shared the wonderful works of God. What were they doing? They were being witnesses, just as God had told them that they would become back in Acts chapter 1. They were witnessing to the fact of what Jesus had done. His death, His burial, His resurrection. They probably, as Jews, were taking time to tie it back to those Old Testament prophecies and promises because that's exactly what Peter did a few minutes later when he got up and he preached to everybody else. And as they began to declare the wonderful works of God, some rejected it. But some responded well. And later, many were saved. Don't allow the rejection of some keep you from sharing and being a witness of Jesus Christ to everybody. Some won't like it. If you've shared Christ for any length of time with any number of people, you've had that experience. Don't let that deter you from what God has given you to do because He's given you the power through the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. This last year, probably a lot of us have felt like we've been on a crazy train, right? This new year, we're still on it. But for the Christian, there ought to be great hope and great peace. What's the Bible say? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. As Christians, we ought not to be living offended and angry and distracted by everything around us. Jesus said, fear not, in this world you shall have tribulation, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. We serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's given us the mission. He's given us the method. And He's given us through the Holy Spirit the means, the ability to accomplish that mission. You're going to have to do a lot of things. You're going to have to work, provide for your family, provide for yourself. You have all this stuff going on and it's busy. It's a lot. I get it. But realize God has allowed you to be exactly where you are right now. God has put you where He wants you to be for a purpose. And that purpose is not just to live your life for yourself. Yes, you have to take care of yourself. But ask God, say, God, as I'm providing for myself, as I'm taking care of my children, as I'm helping those around me, as I'm just trying to deal with this physical need or finance, whatever it is, God, help me to find ways to still be a witness for you. I told this story a while back, but I just always was challenged by a man in our church up in Humble, Brother Titus. And he used to come by at least twice a week, just to get more uh, gospel tracts. Now, Brother Titus, you have to understand, was in his 80s. He wasn't able to walk and go door to door anymore. But he said, Pastor, my mission field is now the doctor's waiting room. He said, I spent a lot of time waiting on them. <laughs> so while I'm doing that, I share Christ with the other people who are sitting there. And he kept that track rack emptied out 
we were constantly refilling it so that he could be a witness. Where has God put you to be a witness? You know, we have people join me, join one of the others, and we'll go out during the week and be a witness here. On a Saturday, we can be a witness around here in kind of a planned process. We ha- but we ought to be a witness everywhere we go. You know, God sends Simon Peter as a missionary all over the country, driving a truck. Some of you travel for work. God's put you in all kinds of unique situations to share the gospel. Some of you say, I never leave the house. But God's put some little children around you that you get to be a witness to. God's put neighbors next to you. God's put teachers around you. God's put grocery store clerks, whoever it is. People come to your house to spray for bugs or deliver packages or whatever. Be a witness. Declare the wonderful works of God. He's given us what we need. Will you take it? Will you fill up your spiritual tank in the Holy Spirit's power? He's already present. If you're saved, you've already been baptized into the Holy Spirit. Let's live in light of that fact. But there might be somebody here this morning that hears all this and says, well, I actually don't have the Holy Spirit. I don't think He is present in my life. You know, you can have that as well if you come to Jesus. He'll forgive you. He'll wash away all your sins. It doesn't matter what your past is. He'll forgive it. He's waiting. He's ready. He's already done the work. He's offering you His gift. Will you take it? Let's stand for prayer. Lord, You've given us Your Word. You've given us Your Spirit. You sent Jesus to die for our sin. The question I'm left with is, what are we doing with all of the gifts that You've given us? Are we wasting them? Are we keeping them to ourselves? Are we going forth in the power and in the truth to live as lights in this dark world? I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our church to bring us to this point. Thank you for this place to meet, the technology to include those who are not able to be here in person. Lord, you are doing your work. But I pray that you'd help us to be clearly understanding the truth and purposing to live in it each day. Work during this time, Lord, of our invitation of people to respond in faith and in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.